I, I, don't, I don't know of a, really know of a more fitting song than that song from the text that we're going to go through today. Like, I really don't. That just the fact that God wastes nothing um, is, is such a great truth. And, and before we sit, um, maybe this is a good chance to tell you about the worst spanking of my life. The fact that God didn't waste anything. <clears throat> maybe I shouldn't say worst spanking. I, the, the most memorable. I'll, maybe I should phrase it that way. It was mid-church service. Some of you guys have heard this story before. I'm talking mid-church service. I, I was playing paper football with a friend of mine, Lelwyn Lackey, on the front row, and, and, and I heard a voice from above say, Troy, <laughs> except it wasn't God. <laughs> it was my dad <laughs> while he was preaching and, uh, and said, uh, hey, as soon as the service is over, I, I need you to meet me in my bedroom back home. I mean, in front of God and everybody. <laughs> And um, it was completely warranted. It was completely justified. And for those who are kind of weirded out about those things, it was completely controlled. It was, it was all the right things. It was perfect. It was just right. Um, the belt was the only thing that could get my attention. It really was. Um, suffering was the only thing that would break through my strong-headed self-will. It just was. And some of you guys out here, like that may be the only amen I get today. You're like, amen, that's me. I can identify. Um, And I'll never forget also in that moment, all of the little church ladies who greeted me on the way out and was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I had a whole new appreciation for the WMU. If if you, like, some people know the WMU. A whole new appreciation. Why do I bring all that up? Well, the question may be, does God ever discipline us in that way? Like, does He ever do that to us? Like, is that part of His mojo, too? Is that, is that a way that God trains His people? Um, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with the Bible, then I want to tell you something. Hey, you're in a safe place. You're in a safe place if you're not familiar with the Bible. We're going to learn through the text today, and it will address that very question. Um, and if you've read the Bible, or maybe you're like the Hebrews that the Hebrew writer's writing to, they've forgotten what the Lord has said about this. <clears throat> and, and so let me remind you real quick um, of what Johnny went through last week. We're going to pop all those up. Um, and, and also, by the way, Johnny killed it last week, didn't he? He killed it. Yeah, he... <laughs> and then we stick him back in the corner today. <laughs> Right. Yeah, from the pulpit to behind the bicycle. Yeah. yeah. Let me remind you, lest you think I'm nuts for bringing up that illustration or where the text is going to head to. Um, <clears throat> the Hebrew writer has set our topic in chapter 12. In verse 1 of chapter 12, the writer says, Hey, remember those people that got it right before us. They were right. Remember those. Draw encouragement. Don't bail on Christianity. Press in. Think about them. And then lay aside every weight of sin by focusing on eternity. I I really like that, Johnny. I really appreciated the way that you did that. Um, By not just focusing on our sin, but focusing on eternity, I think is a very helpful way to look at laying aside our weights of sin. Um, Number three, find your stride. How God related, how God created you. You're unique. You're different. God created you for a certain stride to pace out the life of Christianity. 
then verse 2, look to Jesus. <laughs> he knows the race. He's run the course. Look to Him. Follow in His steps. And then He wrapped it up with verse 3 that said this, And you got to know that joy and suffering go together. They're married. Christ suffered to give us joy, and we one day through our suffering will inherit joy. But suffering is its a real part, and the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that. And so this week, the writer is going to unpack suffering just a little bit more for wavering believers. So we went through all of that, and he says, hey, don't bail on Christianity. Suffering's just part of it. And then the writer's going to double bounce on that and talk about suffering a little more specifically in terms of does God discipline His children particularly? That's where the text is going. So I hope that makes sense. It's going to sound something like this. Not only is suffering just part of the Christian life, and we need to know that, and not only should we see that suffering and joy are indeed married together, we got to know that or you will bail on Christianity. The moment suffering comes, you'll just jump ship and go, well, that's not part of it. you got to know it's together. Not only those things, but also, here's how it's going to sound today, know that God Himself inflicts discipline on the children that He loves. That's where the text is going to hit. To do what? For what reason? Well, to grow us, but a lot more. Well, let's remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Chapter 12 continues on in our journey through the study of Hebrews, verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son... Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness." For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The Word of God for the people of God. I'm going to pray, and then we'll continue in worship through the Word. Well, Jesus, it is in your sovereignty that you have us at this text today. And it's also in your sovereignty that every individual that is in this room is here before this text today. And so God, as we all as as children sit up under your text, God, I pray that I'm the first. Would you speak to me greatly in this text? Um, 
men also pray for our church family. Lord Jesus, as we sit up under this text, would we, would we feel it? Would we contemplate it? Would we learn it? Um, but at the end of the day, would we be more mesmerized by you and your intent through inflicting discipline on us? May we be mesmerized at your steadfastness and faithfulness to us, even through discipline. Jesus, um, it's a tough text, and, and, and I pray that you make it... Um, that you just make it beautiful. Make this text beautiful um, to the ears and eyes of your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Yeah. <clears throat> I want to thank you for being here. My name is Troy Nicholson. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm, I'm really am very glad that you're, that you're here before this text with us today. <clears throat> I can see at least... Four things out of this text, and they'll be on the screen above if, if you want to track down and jot notes. If, if you've never been at Safe Haven before, this screen is going to look like a, just a bloody mess at the end of the day. We'll highlight and we'll circle and we'll put things out there and, and we'll really kind of... Our goal in that is we really want you to learn how to study the Bible. Uh, and, and so hopefully, when, as you see how we go through it, you can do it on your own and, and study the Scriptures on your own. So it's going to unpack and unfold before. But I think there will be four things that we can see, at least in this text today, that I want to highlight. First is this. As we contemplate discipline of the Lord, I know that that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for some of you right off the bat because uh, the way in which you were disciplined in a completely um, vulgar, uncontrolled um, uh, non-godly way. Is that fair? Can I say it that way? I get that. I understand some of you are going to have that already, that bent, that slant. Um, and and I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that ha- occurred to you in that way. Um, any form of discipline that the Lord has commanded us is, is always controlled. It's always for our good. It's always right. Uh, and, and I'm sorry that sin crept in, um, and, and for many of you guys, and some of you guys, that may have turned into abuse, okay? So let's just, let's just be clear about that, right? And I understand this text may be hard for you, but if that's your case, do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. God wrote this, I didn't write this, and anything that God gives us in His holy scriptures by His divine inspiration is for our good and ultimately for His glory. So I hope, you'll, I hope you'll piece those things together today. But let's jump through it, okay? Um, first, I want to see this. I think right off the bat we can see God allows Christians to suffer. That's a truth right off the bat we can see in this text. Let's look at it again. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I think that the writer wants us to consider something very important right there in that first little line. That being this, most likely this is not a phrase that is a Jesus juke, okay? This is not a phrase that sounds something like this. Well, Christ had to shed His blood, so be thankful that you don't have to shed yours. Jesus juke, you know, I I don't think that's what's going on. And you can kind of read it that way if you're snarky, maybe a little bit like me. Um... In your struggle, well, at least you haven't resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, Jesus juke. I don't think that's what's going on. As a matter of fact, I think it's quite the opposite what he's saying here. I think the opposite is he's given us a crystal clear reminder of exactly what the Christian race might entail. That being the what? Shedding of your blood. 
So it's not a Jesus juke of, well, at least you don't have to. It's a, hey, you need to know, Christian, that running the Christian race, it may lead you to this. Like, this might be the end. It, it might be the shedding of your blood. Um, Fox's Book of Martyrs is a fantastic resource if you just like to read some heroes of the faith who quite literally shed their blood all the way to the end. Um, and he's telling us that for our good. He's saying, I need you to know this, because if you don't know this, you'll bail. Me and Julie Beth, and some of you guys have heard this story as well. You know, when you've, when you've been around for quite a while, you, some of the stories just get repeated. It is what it is. Um, when we were in North Carolina, we, we signed up for a 5K. And we were like, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to do it at Duke University. Ooh, this will be cool and all that, you know. So we signed up. And we trained, and we trained right there around our apartment complex there at Seminary. And lo and behold, we got there the day of the race. We felt really good about ourselves. Not that we were going to win. We just were pumped that we were going to do this thing together. And so, man, we beautiful Duke campus, and we start heading down, and we're like, oh, we're going to tour all of the chapels and all the buildings through this 5K, and, you know, it's going to be a great day. And one-fourth of the way into the race, they have the road blocked off and shoot you into the woods. And it is a cross-country race that we have signed up for. We didn't train for this. We didn't know it was coming. We didn't have the right shoes. We didn't have the right clothes. We didn't have the right mindset. And the whole thing was through the tick-infested. We didn't see a lick of Duke's campus. Right? But we can tell you every pine tree out in the forest near Duke. And so we got, my, my point is this. We get in the middle of the woods... What did we want to do? We wanted to bail. We wanted out. We didn't know that was part of the race. We didn't know that's what we signed up for. And the writer of Hebrews is going, Hey, hey, Christian, when you sign up, you need to know this is part of it. In the Christian race, you're signing up for part of suffering. And you need to know that because, again, when it hits, don't bail. Don't bail. It's just part of the journey here on earth. And so for the Hebrew audience, they're saying, hey, this Christian race is not what we signed up for. We signed up to be a part of Christ's second coming and His return. And He hasn't returned, so we're out. And He's saying, hey, that was never the promise. He is going to return. He didn't promise this was going to happen in your day. You misunderstood that. And suffering is just a real part. So everyone, if you sign up for the Christian race, know suffering's real, but ultimately it is for your good and it is for God's glory. And then number two, secondly, I think we can see this, that God Himself is the agent of disciplining His children. That is also true. The discipline of the Lord, or when unpleasant things come our way, I want to be careful, man, because I know I'm, I'm, I'm treading on eggshells here. I get that. Um, I think a lot of times anything unpleasant comes our way, we go, well, that's just part of the fall. Anything unpleasant is just a part of the, the fall. And here in the text, I think we can see, yes, there's a lot of things that are unpleasant that are part of the fall, but squarely... God Himself sometimes is the agent of that discipline which seems unpleasant at the time. That's not a part of the fall. Oddly enough, it's part of redemption. 
and him redeeming his kids. Let's read this together. Verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, the urging that addresses you as sons? And here it is. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the who? You can say it out loud. The Lord. The discipline of the Lord. Nor be weary when reproved by who? By Him. By Him. Yeah. And so I want you to notice three phrases, and they'll pop up on the screen. You can see where these phrases come from. Number one, he says this. Have you forgotten? In other words, believer, have you, have you forgotten? I've told you this in Psalm 94. I've told you this in Proverbs 3. I've told you this in Job 5, which is where all these phrases come from. I've already told you this. God says, look, I've already told you this is part of it. Have you forgotten that? God's urging and His exhortation has always been and will always be a part of the Christian journey until we meet glorification. Don't forget that, believer. Don't forget that. And then number two, the second phrase is this. And when that comes, do not regard that discipline lightly. Don't regard that lightly. Don't regard the discipline of the Lord as kind of a wink and a nod. In other words, maybe I could phrase it this way. And she's not here today. She's headed to the beach. Don't regard the discipline as Aunt Jill. For our children, and everybody probably has an Aunt Jill... Um, our children go over to Aunt Jill's house, and they know they can quite literally do anything they want. Aunt Jill learned that from their from their grandma, from her mother, and, and their grandmother. Uh, the kid, the kids can eat what they want. They can do what they want. They, you know, it's just that you've got that aunt too. You know, you you break something, and the aunt goes, well, "That's the cutest break I've ever seen." You're like, no, it's not the cutest break I've ever seen. It's, it's you know, it's it's that aunt, and he says this: Don't regard the Lord like that. Don't think of the Lord as, as a Lord who's just, hey, here, my sin is before me, and, and the Lord's like, ah, I'm going to spank you with a noodle. Wink and nod. Don't regard the Lord like that. Sin is serious to the Lord. He takes it very seriously. Don't treat Him like that ant that refuses to discipline you. He says, do not regard lightly. In other words... You can't just do anything you want on the Christian journey and just go, grace card. Grace card. It's real. Don't regard that lightly. And then he says this, number three, and when discipline comes your way, don't be weary. In other words, don't act like you're locked in a prison with no light when the Lord disciplines you. So when you feel the Lord's discipline, don't swing to the other pendulum of just, well, I can really do anything I want to the pendulum of, well, I can't do anything. Because if I do anything, the Lord is there to zap me with a light bulb. It's like he locks me in a, in a chain, sits me in a prison, turns the lights off and doesn't pump me any air in. Don't, don't treat the Lord that way either. Don't be weary when the Lord disciplines. When the Lord disciplines and those things come our way, see it as the Lord, hey, the Lord loves me enough to move me in the direction He wants me to go. He loves me that way. And so, you can see the, the writer of Hebrews swinging this pendulum. I think it's... A, I, I think, do y'all see how beautiful that is? It's a beautiful text. Right. So, so, number two, God Himself is the agent of disciplining His children. Don't forget that. Don't regard it lightly, but also don't grow weary in it. Uh, I'm thinking of the verse now that says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Right? Don't be exasperated by the Lord's discipline. Right? And then thirdly, 
we see God's motive for discipline is this. It's love and identification. That's his motive. Now let's look at that together. Verse 6. For the Lord disciplines the one that he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? Side note, side note, this is this phrase, Hallmark cards, I think Wade Boggs said it, um, every or most males can be, uh, most males can produce a, a kid, but it takes a real man to be a father. All right, that didn't come from Wade Boggs or Hallmark. This is what the Lord is saying to us right here. If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Discipline is a marker of identification. And besides this, we have had eternal fathers, um, earthly fathers, sorry, um, who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So let's, let's notice those two motives. The motive of love first. In the Lord's discipline, this, this motive of love, I, I do this because I love you, is what he says. Because the, the truth be told is this. It is a lot harder and takes a lot more love to discipline someone than just to let someone continue in their ways. That's a lot harder, isn't it? It is a lot harder to discipline your child than to just kind of just let them go wherever they want to go. It's the cool thing, and it's actually become the hip thing in today's society. Just kind of let your kids do what they want to do. But it takes love, and it's a lot harder to say, no, absolutely not. We will not do that. This is where we're at. And so this is what the Lord is doing. And what He's doing for us is He's displaying His love when He doesn't just let us go our own way. The Bible never instructs us to just let our kids be whoever they want to be. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we are to train our children up in the way that they should go. We're to to do that. We need a revival of that in the world, especially in Christianity, of, hey, these are our kids, and we will indeed discipline them and shape them and mold them and just not let them just do whatever they want to do. This is why we catechize our kids. This is why we teach them. This is why we train them in the way that they should go. The Bible never instructs us just let them do whatever they want. The Bible also never instructs us to just kind of sit idly by and be their greatest friend despite whatever choices they make. It never, never tells us to do that. And praise the Lord, my point is not to go off on a tangent about how we should discipline or not discipline our kids, but praise the Lord that the Lord doesn't do that with us either. Praise the Lord that He doesn't just let us go willy-nilly wherever we want to go. Because you know where this guy would go? I'd bust hell wide open. If he didn't discipline me and morph me, I would bust the gates of hell wide open, screaming, kicking. And praise the Lord, he doesn't do that. The Lord loves us enough to say to us as children, no, 
you can't have that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't think that. No, you can't let that embrace or identify your life. At No, no, no. Praise the Lord that He has the guts enough to say no. And He loves us also enough to chastise us and to reprimand us. That's what the word chastise in that verse means. He loves us enough to reprimand us. We'll get to that in just a second. And He loves us enough to, catch this, to break our will and to conform us to His standards. Praise the Lord. And ultimately, isn't that what discipline is? And and we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about discipline as quite literally breaking someone's will and helping remold that will into a a will that honors the Lord. We We don't like to think about it that way, but that's what it is. And that's the Lord's intent. When He disciplines, it is to break our will. Because our will is to worship ourselves. And when we worship ourselves, the end is A, not good, and B, not for His glory. And praise the Lord, He loves us enough to change that in us. Because we wouldn't do that on our own, would we? We just wouldn't. We wouldn't. And then notice the motive of identification. He loves us enough to tell us the snake is on the other side of the log. Don't step on the other side of the log. But he also has this motive of identification. Did you catch that? If you're left without discipline, then you are an illegitimate child and not a son. Quite literally, if you're left without discipline, then you're just a bastard child. You you have no father. You have no parent. I was going to say parental and it came out parent. So I'm not (laughs) sure what that word even is. Parent, right? But when we're disciplined, in other words, he's, he's marking us. When you're disciplined, he, he's marking you. And that's a good thing. He's actually identifying you as a son and a daughter through his discipline. What a great grace. Um, I was fortunate enough to have two fathers in this way as I was growing up. And a lot of you guys did as well. You, you had your own father, and then you also had like a best friend whose father was just as much your father. And, and I had one of those. His name was Rodney. Um, and, and Rodney, he had this authority in my life. And there was, I spent, it felt like every waking moment over at their house. And he, he did his mind too. And, and he, had a, he had a cabinetry shop out in the back of his property. And uh, he told us one day, because again, I was just like his child. And when Eric had to go clean something, I had to go clean something. When Eric had to cut the grass, I had to cut the grass. It was that type of relationship. And he said, hey, boys, um, before y'all go swimming and enjoying my pool that I worked hard earning money for, then get out there and clean up all the wood chips in the cabinetry shop. So we said, okay, you know. So we went out to the cabinetry shop, and and as boys do, um, we didn't clean up a lick of... And as a matter of fact, there was some scrap wood, and we started cutting things. And we <laughs> we're like, oh, we're going to build a birdhouse. And, you know, we didn't even, we didn't at this point in our lives need to be working a hammer and a nail. And we've got power equipment running. You know, we're planing things and sawing things. And, and he comes running out there, honestly, to check on us to make sure we hadn't hacked off all of our digits at this point. And, and, and he comes in, and there's stuff everywhere. And he was 
furious. He was livid. And in this moment, he's like, Eric, come over here. And Eric walks over there and he says, well, why did you do this? And, and controlled and all the things, walks through everything. You know the punishment for this. Blah, blah, blah. You're going to spank him. And, and, and so walk through that. And Eric acknowledged, I, I shouldn't have done this. I should have listened, blah, blah, blah. And Eric gets a spank. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And he gets done. And, and he gets, and I just, it was, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit or I was just partly crazy. And uh, I just walked over there. And I just turned around. And I was like, just give me, just give me my, let's go. I deserve it too. <laughs> and to this day, Eric will be like, you're nuts. What are you thinking, man? And in this moment, I, I had that, but here was my point in all that, is we knew we were wrong. We knew it. You don't have to convince us whether we're wrong or not. We knew it. We knew we deserved it. Also, I knew that Rodney loved me. And I knew that Rodney respected me, and I knew that Rodney saw me also as his son. I knew that. And I knew I was just as much a part of the family as my best friend Eric was. I know that situation's unique, and I know that illustration. You can, you can shoot holes in all illustrations. So if you're sitting there going, well, there's a bad illustration, just leave. Just leave. Get out. Um, when we're disciplined by the Lord, He's saying, you're not a bastard child. You're my beloved. I love you. And you're just as much part of the family as my son, Jesus, who bled and died for you. You're just as much a part. And he's saying, I refuse to let you go. And I will lovingly discipline you to not push you away, but to draw you in. My child. Number four, and then we'll wrap it up. Fourthly, God's discipline has great effects. Can I get amen on that one? (laughs) Has great effects. Verse 10. For they, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. He's not just trying to get the wood chips out of the floor of the the cabinetry shop. He's disciplining us for holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Earthly discipline indeed produces many great effects. Don't jot these down. I just Some of the things I can think of are in earthly discipline we have a realigned focus, a change of direction, an introspective heart, a pliable spirit, a modified behavior. And I know some people who have read Shepherding a Child's Heart, you're like, why are we talking about behavior modification? Just hang with me. Hang with me. Earthly discipline does that. It does change our behavior. Right? Um, and, and perhaps even a worshipful will. There's no doubt about it. Earthly discipline can make you contemplate, okay, where do I stand with the Lord and, and what am I doing? All those things are true. Godly discipline does all of those things. And godly discipline produces an even greater effect. So all that list before, but also this, according to this passage, 
Godly discipline produces a pursuit of personal holiness. In other words, when God disciplines us, it shows us that life is not about what we want, when we want, how we want. That's not the point. It shows us that it's, life is about what He wants. And then number two, godly discipline shows us that through that we're receiving substitutional holiness, even more importantly, which I think is more the point of the text. That being this, that the price to follow Christ is absolutely free, but it is true, the price to follow will cost you everything. Everything. It's free. Grace is free. Salvation is free. By faith, yes, absolutely. But it'll cost you everything. This is why the Lord said, hey, take up your cross and follow me. Take it up. And in discipline, what the Lord is doing us is morphing us so that we don't chase our own passions, our own will, so that He can give the fullness of Christ's personal redemption through His holiness. He's doing that for us. I guess the way I could say that for all the theologians in the room is this. We, we talk a lot about grace-based salvation, meaning there's nothing we do to earn it. But I think through discipline, the Lord is also showing us that even our sanctification is a work of the Spirit too. Even our sanctification. He's doing that. And then also through uh, discipline, it's, it's producing earthly fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, 22. Through godly discipline, He's giving us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's given us all those things. And He's also giving us eternal righteousness, as the text says. The fruit of righteousness. In other words, sometimes when the Lord is disciplining us because we're chasing after the passions of the world, what's happening is it seems very countercultural that he's, he's crafting us to live in a radically different cultural way. Like we're swimming against the stream. He's like, hey, everybody's going this way, and I'm disciplining you, and it's going to feel like you're going this way. And it's not just feeling that way. That's what he's doing. He's fitting us for a counter-cultural reality, ultimately, that one day ends in his righteousness. And so, a culture where we are finally right, righteous, with the Father... That's the point of his discipline. So, press in and don't bail. Well, that's where I planned on ending, ending the sermon. And I think you could end it there. But as I was about to leave this morning, I was like, hey, hey, hold on a second. That's great. And this, I, think this, I think that's the text. I think that's where it's at. But I think if we end there, then, then there's probably some people in the room right now who are asking the question, that's good. But what kind of discipline does he use? Like, what does that look like? Like, what's the methods of discipline? Like, how would I even know what his discipline looks like? Well, if that's you, you may be saying, well, does that mean he spanks us with a spanking spoon? (laughs) I won't be honest with you. I wish he did. I absolutely wish he did. Because then I would know a little more. You know, he's just like, whack. But then again, it would, for me, it'd, I'd be constantly like, you know, chasing this thing. Um, does he remove the PlayStation? I'm going to be honest with you. I hope. I wish he did that too. I wish he removed all the PlayStations and Xboxes, but that is another story for another day. It has nothing to do with tech. So, what are some forms of godly discipline that I, I think we can see in the scripture? Let me rattle off a few. Sometimes he disciplines 
through our chief enemy. You can definitely find in Scripture where Satan allows, is, is allowed to sift. Limited, but definitely allowed to sift. Um, through our other enemies, the lesser enemies, you can see clear examples in Scripture of spiritual warfare. Uh, that's, that's what the end of Galatians is all about. Hey, keep this in mind. Put up guard against this. Helmet of salvation. War against this. This is real stuff. You can see godly discipline occurring sometimes through the consequences of our own sin, which I would argue is mainly, chiefly, probably how He disciplines us. In other words, He lets you reap what you sow. Um, Through situations, Paul definitely had a thorn placed in his side. And he actually said, this thorn was placed in my side to keep me from being what? You may remember, conceited. Placed in my side to keep me from being conceited. Through natural disasters, the Lord uses this a lot in the Bible. You can debate it all you want, but if you read the pages of Scripture, brother, He he does. Through a rebuke from a brother or sister in Christ, we don't, like a lot of people don't have the guts for this one. Paul and Peter got at it. You remember that? They got up in each other's grill. Um, uh, through withholding things from us, take up my cross and follow. Take up your cross and follow me. Uh, don't store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. I mean, I mean, boy, that didn't know one, right? <laughs> don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Uh, withholding, I don't think that's unbiblical. Um, and then I think I, maybe the last one I would toss out there is this. Sometimes the discipline is just through letting you actually have what you want. He just gives you over to your own lusts. You want that? Take it. Run with it. And tell me how that turns out, big boy. All those things. I guess my point in saying that is not every unpleasant thing is a demonic attack. Not everything. There are some. Some is godly discipline. So maybe the next time that somebody puts on Facebook, hey, pray for me. Satan's attacking me and my family. Maybe you can go, well, maybe that's God. <laughs> Anybody got, gut, got the guts for that, right? It's like, no, nah, I'll let you do that. I'll let you do that. Um. But maybe I'm praying that the Lord gets you your attention with what He's allowing. It's sometimes right. Now it will definitely get you unfriended or defriended. <laughs> or in today's secret society, muted. <laughs> Remain friends but mute. Okay, that's the deal. If you've not labored in cultivating the gospel in your children... God may let them wallow in their sinful choices. If you've been dishonest at work, God may let you reap the consequences of that dishonesty. If you've poorly stewarded your money, you might not be under demonic attack. You might just need a budget. God may let you fall into foreclosure. 
right? All of it to get your attention and draw us back to gazing upon Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. All of it so that we don't get duped by the illusion that this world is a lasting reality. It's not, church. It's not. This thing is here today, gone tomorrow. It is a vapor and we think it is so real because we can touch it, taste it, see it. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, man, there's something so much more real to come and it will never go away. And the Lord wants that for you. What a good God. And then finally, all godly discipline is so that we will hate our sin and love our Savior. The Word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, maybe, again, not the text that we wanted to walk across today, but absolutely the text that we needed. God, I need this. I need this. God, if I'm being honest, I don't know how long it's been since I have thanked you for disciplining me. So if nothing else, God, would you rebirth that in me? Would you rebirth that in me? A thankfulness not only for your tender grace, but also a thankfulness for your tough truth in my life that makes me appreciate your tender grace. Jesus, for every believer in this room, I pray that, that, that we contemplate your work today and the fact that you ultimately took every bit of wrath that the Father had for sin and you took that on yourself. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing that substitutionary work that we cannot do, that we can have no part of. Thank you, thank you, thank you for bearing the fullness, embracing that, the, the, the crushing, the, the curse of death, uh, the sting, all of that. Thank you that because of you, we get to rise in victory. Thank you so much that our sin has no bearing on whether or not we enter into eternity, but only our relationship with you. Thank you for substitutional holiness. God, I cannot scream that aloud enough. But for the believers in this room, I also pray, Lord Jesus, that we'll see that this world is not our home. And because of your substitutional holiness, we can and should pursue personal holiness while we're still here on this spinning ball. So grow that in us, even if it takes discipline. Lord Jesus, if there's an unbeliever in this room, who has no idea what the discipline of the Lord is, oh Lord, today, that they too would step in line and go, Jesus, love me enough to discipline my heart to see you as the greatest thing above all things. Overcome their resistance right now, Lord Jesus. I pray today that somebody will confess their sin. They will turn from their sin. They will place their faith in the finished work of Christ. God, I pray today is the day of salvation for someone. Lord Jesus, do that miracle as well. Holy Spirit, come and move in our midst.